We make all kinds of commitments in our life, right? We commit to meet a friend for coffee maybe later in the week. We commit uh, to a vacation rental that we might be using this summer as we get away. We commit perhaps to a new university or a new course of study where we hope to learn and grow. We commit to other people to be on their team or to cooperate with them on a project. Uh, and of course, this last week, my wife and I enjoyed our wedding anniversary, which of course, uh, if nothing else, is a memory of a tremendous commitment, a covenant commitment that we made before God to one another. Now, all of these commitments vary in terms of our dedication to them. There are some commitments that we make, to be honest, we treat pretty casually. It's like, well, I'll meet you next week unless something else comes up, you know, that sort of thing. Some commitments, to be honest, we forget all about. Was I supposed to do that? Was I supposed to be there? And some uh, commitments, really, we just take it, we just commit to whenever we recognize that the cost benefit analysis works in our favor. In other words, I'll stay in that work contract as long as I don't get a better offer, that sort of thing. Uh, I want us to think today about what we mean when we say we're committed uh, to following Jesus. It is something that is incredibly easy to say, and it is something that is more difficult uh, to actually do. As a matter of fact, it is an impossible commitment without the help of God through the power of his Spirit. There is a passage here at the very end of Luke chapter 9 that illustrates just how special the commitment to Jesus really is. And I want us to pay attention to that uh, as we study God's Word today. We're going to look at uh, Luke 9, beginning in verse 57, and reading through the end of the chapter. Listen as I read God's word. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Thus ends uh, the reading of our text. Wow, when we hear these words, especially words as challenging as these, we recognize that we need help. We need God's help. So let's pray and ask for that help right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the time that we have to study it. We pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit will help the one who listens, that they will understand, believe, and be changed through your word even now. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will help me that your spirit will help me to communicate in a way that clarifies rather than obscures, that encourages rather than discourages, and that helps each person, including me, the one preaching, to grow, 
to become a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at this text, we're really looking at uh, three very challenging sayings uh, by Jesus. Now, we see there are similar but different circumstances going on here. In two of the situations, people are coming up to Jesus and saying that they want or they intend to follow that follow him, and the other Jesus actually calls actively. And yet what Jesus says in these scenarios really shake us a little bit. They seem to be counterintuitive in a sense, or they seem particularly demanding. So let's think about that. Why do these texts strike us? Well, they strike us, I think, uh, because when we think about being a follower of Christ, I think most of us think of it as just something that we've always known in our life. If we grew up uh, in a church where uh, we went fairly regularly, regularly, if you were to be asked, what does it mean to be a Christian or to be a follower of Christ, you would say, well, I don't know. I guess it means just being good most of the time. It means going to church every now and then, being familiar with the Bible. Uh, it means, you know, just sort of being in that tribe, that group of people called Christians. Or perhaps you grew up in a tradition like the one I grew up in, in which case, if someone were to ask you, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Uh, I might say, what well, means that you've heard about Jesus and you have repented of your sin, that is your rebellion against God, and you have asked uh, God to forgive you, and you have accepted the gift of salvation that's offered through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And usually you can uh, remember a specific day or a specific church service where you made that commitment. You said a prayer and maybe you were baptized uh, later. Whatever your story is, you might have had a story like that. And you say, so being a follower of Jesus means doing that, that uh, thing in the past that shows your commitment. Uh, of course, uh, that is part of it. And for many people, including myself, that is a precious part of my own story. For others, you may say, what does it mean to be a Christian? They will simply say, well, it means that I'm not Islamic or I'm not Jewish. In other words, it's sort of a, a denote, denotation of a heritage of some kind. But you see, for Jesus, as he thinks about uh, what it means to follow him, he has a very different kind of understanding that is very good for us to consider. The first uh, part of this passage that I want us to see, uh, it shows us uh, that we have to think about, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have to think about how we think about this world. We have to look at how we think about this world. Notice when the person says that they want to follow him, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere uh, to lay his head. What is this about? Is it just a statement uh, that Jesus currently owns no home or rents no property? No, it's going beyond that. It is him saying that as far as all of the stuff of this world, that he holds it uh, very loosely. He is not grabbing hold of it, that following him is not about obtaining things in this world. It's about something else. And this is important for us to think about. 
Think about it. Has being a Christian ever presented as a way to actually grab more of what this world has to offer? To maybe become wealthier or to have nicer or an abundance of possessions? Well, of course, you may have heard people talk this way. But in doing so, it really is working counter to what Jesus says here in this text. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to understand that if Jesus is, has no home, has no nest, has no a place to lay his head, that means that he and his followers will think differently about the stuff of this world. Now, does that mean that his followers won't own anything or rent anything or possess anything? No. But what it does mean is that owning, renting, or possessing those things will have no hold on the heart or the life of the follower of Jesus. Why? Well, why would Jesus say he has no place to lay his head? Because this world that even though he came uh, to show good news uh, from God, even though he came to provide a way for people to be right with God through his life, death, and resurrection, he did not come to stay in this world as it was. In other words, Jesus was keenly and always aware that this world was not his ultimate destination that his destination was a new heaven and a new earth, and his eyes were fixed in that direction. And so the stuff of the world in which he lived, he simply held loosely and was charitable and gracious with it because he knew that was not uh, the place where he belonged long-term. It was where he came to save, but it wasn't where he belonged long-term. And do you know that Christians are taught the same thing, not only here in the words of Jesus, but uh, in the, uh, uh, the letter that the Apostle Peter wrote. He said that we are aliens and strangers. Aliens and strangers. Uh, that is an amazing statement. It means that followers of Jesus don't think of this world as where we really ultimately belong, but we belong with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth, and this is where we want to go. Now, if we really understood that, that following Jesus was holding this world loosely and really living in the light of another world that would be far more precious and would be our permanent abode, how would we deal with the stuff of this world? Well, we certainly wouldn't be anxious about it. We certainly wouldn't get our significance from it. We certainly wouldn't neglect time with God or growing in faith for the sake of having more stuff in this world. No, we would really be open-handed with the things in this world. This is what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, you need to be like me, and I hold this loosely because I'm heading to another destination. Well, that's certainly helpful as we think about that, but there's something else we need to think about. We need to think about, if we're talking about following Jesus, we need to think about what that means for our other duties and responsibilities. I really get that. And this second uh, person that Jesus encounters in verse 59, it says to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, this is an unbelievably uh, stark and uh, really shocking thing that Jesus says to this person. For in the first century, uh, the probably one of the highest duties, uh, really, that was spouted out in the writings of the Jewish uh, religious leaders and that every person thought of as holy and sacred was the duty to attend to one's parents, particularly one's father, on their death. In other words, he's asking to first do something that everyone in that culture, and really not just the Jewish culture, but the cultures that surrounded it, ones that we would call Gentile cultures, considered sacrosanct, that you would definitely do this. And yet Jesus says, no, there is something more important than the most accepted and celebrated duty in your world. There is something more important then what everybody else says you need to make sure you do. And what is more important? Following Jesus. And notice what he says here. Proclaiming. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. It's more important than any human duty that we have. Now, I want to be clear uh, about this passage. Uh, when reading this week, uh, I came across that some writers actually believe here that this expression, let me go bury my father, doesn't necessarily mean that this man's uh, father was currently dead and needed to be buried, but perhaps it meant he was critically ill. Or perhaps he meant that his father was aging and would die in the near or in intermediate future. Some say this expression can mean uh, that broad of a meaning, but either way, it is about fulfilling a duty uh, to this man's father in terms of caring for him in his death. And I want us to, to really think about that. If that was the most sacred uh, duty that a son could give to a father, what is it that the world is telling us today are our most critical duties? Well, I don't know. Uh, in your life, it may be different than in my life. Uh, but certainly, you know, here uh, we're recording this on the 4th of July weekend. So, for instance, uh, if you live in the United States of America, someone would say, well, you need to be patriotic. That is a tremendous duty, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And it's commonly accepted that you should be faithful and loyal to the country of your birth. But is that even close to as important as following Jesus? Or we perhaps think about the duty to do well in school. When you're younger, that's certainly what you would think of as the most important thing in your life. My children would always laugh about the never-ending cycle uh, that existed in terms of education. You know, you would uh, be a little four-year-old uh, person, and they would say, are you excited about going to school? And, uh, you know, of course, every little kid is excited about going to school to 
some extent. And then you, of course, get in kindergarten and they say, are you excited about going to first grade? And then you get into elementary school and they say, are you doing well in school? Are you really making good grades? And then you get to middle school and they say, you better work hard because you have to prepare for high school. And high school, they say, you have to do everything perfectly because of course it all goes on your transcript so that you can get into a good college and you get into college and immediately, I mean, really your first day of your freshman year, some adult will say, so what are you gonna do when you graduate from college? And you're thinking, I just got here, how do I know? And there are all of these duties that young people are supposed to fulfill in our world, but where do they all fit in terms of our call to follow Jesus? Well, they're far less important. Now, let's be clear, whether it's grades, you know, uh, or whether it's taking care of an aging parent or uh, whatever it may be, uh, whether it's being patriotic, it's not saying in any way that these, doing these things is bad. They're not bad. And normally, uh, a Christian man or woman would be doing these things in faith as a way to honor God and a way to represent Jesus Christ in the world in which we live. But if it was forced to a choice, for instance, to use my last illustration, if, if to make an A in school, I had to say things that would bring dishonor to Jesus and the kingdom of God, that the integrity and the truth about God would be more important than that grade than that, grade that the world says is such a tremendous responsibility. Uh, or if uh, my country asked me to do something or to say something or to promote something that was against Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, then it would actually be a greater responsibility to resist and refuse uh, that commonly accepted uh, duty to country in order to bring honor uh, to God and the king, and to proclaim the kingdom. You see, even in recognizing that there is something greater than those commonly accepted in the world responsibilities, what we are saying is there is this great and majestic truth, and that is that God in his love sent Jesus Christ, his son, God in the flesh, to live a perfect life, and at the end of that life, he took the place of people who had rebelled against God and rejected God, people like me and people like you, as he died on a cross to bear the penalty that that rejection and rebellion deserved. On the third day, he rose from the dead to show that he had dealt with, that he had paid for all of that rebellion and sin, and he ascended into heaven to show that he currently is on the right hand of God the Father where he is praying for those that believe in him, trust in him and not their own efforts. That is such good news. And it's more important to proclaim those truths uh, than to make good grades in school or to be loyal to your country if there's ever a conflict. Do you see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is too often we tend to get on a path that leads us to syncretism, 
Now, what is that? That's a big word. I like to use it because I think it's a challenge that we all face day in and day out. What is syncretism? Well, we really see it uh, in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, oftentimes we read stories about the people of God in the Old Testament, the Israelite nation, that they actually went through the motions in terms of doing what God had commanded in terms of the sacrifices and the special holidays and all of that. But they also accommodated to the peoples that lived among them and around them by also observing all of the religious holidays and festivals that they would do. In other words, they were absolutely going through the motions of doing what God required, but they were also uh, saying something else about God, which was that he was just one of many, as they honored the gods of the people uh, around them. In doing so, they, they actually dishonored God because God said, I am the one and the only. In the Ten Commandments, he says, I am a jealous God. I'm a jealous God. You should have no other gods before me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. There can be no responsibility, no duty that is more significant than following me and proclaiming the kingdom of God. That is so helpful for us, uh, isn't it? Because I think too often we fall in that easy syncretism of just saying, well, I'll do everything that Christianity requires, and then I'll also do all these things, even when they conflict with what uh, I believe and what Christianity teaches. So we need to be thinking about what following Jesus has to do with uh, our other duties. But thirdly, I want us to see uh, that we need to think about uh, how uh, following Jesus uh, relates to our past. How does following Jesus relate to our past? Uh, Think about it. We all have glory days. I've uh, served in several churches and worked with many others, and I can tell you that any church that's more than 10 or 20 years old has uh, some part of its history that's considered glory days. That is when everything was going great. Uh, Of course, many people think of the church's glory days when they were most excited about God, when they were learning the most or growing the most or maybe when their children were young. But people remember the day that the church was the fullest or uh, that people were most excited or most people came to Sunday school or had the biggest Bible, you know, vacation Bible school in the summer. There's always a glory day. And uh, without even knowing we're doing it, we're always sort of comparing where we are right now with those times of blessing in the past, and we're not paying as much attention to the opportunities that are existent presently because of our uh, sort of distraction by our past. And do you know that that can happen in the life of a Christian? That there are things that were special and precious to us in our past, uh, even in our past before we met Jesus, and they can become distractions uh, to uh, the life that we should live for Jesus. I see this, of course, in this last expression uh, when we say, yet another said, verse 61, 
I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? Well, he is saying that the kingdom of God is about moving forward. It's about moving forward, not looking back. Uh, one writer uh, that I was reading this week reminded me that in the Old Testament, uh, people who look back, look back because they really wanted to go back in the direction they had come from. For instance, in a story of Lot uh, coming out of Sodom, uh, he, they are told not to even look back, but his wife looks back uh, to see the city that she left and probably the city that she loved, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. Or the Israelites, the people of God, when God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, often looked back to Egypt and, to be honest, remembered it far more fondly than it was in reality as they preferred it to following God in the wilderness. And too often, following Jesus, we are tempted to look back to some pleasure in our past, to some relationship which really took us away from enjoying the kingdom of God through Christ. Or we look back to some success we had or popularity we had, and we really long for a return of those things rather than looking forward to what Jesus has for us today and in the future. The illustration that Jesus uses here really makes perfect sense that if you are plowing, at least in the first century, using a, a team of uh, livestock uh, there in the yoke and you have the plow in the ground, if you look back, your line will get suddenly crooked. Uh, you know, that's true if you're driving, you know, if you are driving your car and uh, you begin looking in the back seat, perhaps to see uh, where you put your briefcase or what the kids are doing in the back seat, you will tend to drift in the lane. You will not be going straight anymore. And we need to think about that. You see, Jesus wants us to go straight, straight toward the goal which is to honor and enjoy Jesus Christ, for this is what he's called us to. He doesn't want us looking back, but looking forward. And you know what? A Christian has a tremendous amount to look forward to. Not only can we look forward to all that Jesus will do in and through us during our life here on earth, but we look forward to being present with Jesus at the end of our life. We look forward to being accepted. We look forward to being welcomed into the presence of God and all of those who believed in him. We look forward to a time when Jesus will return to make all things new, to make everything that is wrong right. We can look forward to an endless eternity where there is no more pain or suffering suffering or death, where there is no more uh, curse in this world, but it has all been made right by Christ. That is a lot to look forward to. Too often when we look back, we make far more of what lies behind us than really existed. We really become narrow in our memory. In other words, we only remember those good things 
and we have a tendency to inflate even those things that went well as we minimize or even get rid of altogether the challenges and difficulties that we experienced back then. And so all it does is distract. It pushes us off the path of following Jesus. Jesus wants us to think about what it means to follow him. Do you know that in this state, statement that Jesus makes, he's also drawing uh, our attention to the priority of his kingdom and the uniqueness of it, even in biblical history. Where do I get that? Well, in this expression, uh, the question that Jesus has asked or the permission that he's asked for is very similar to what we see in the uh, book of uh, 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we see that the prophet Elijah decides to put his cloak on a man named Elisha. I've always loved that those two names sound so similar. And uh, look at what he does when he goes to put his cloak on. That means to appoint him as his successor. He, is, uh, he has a transition plan uh, that God has ordained to pass uh, along his prophetic ministry, to, and, uh, and God has decided to put his spirit upon this Elisha. Let's read about that in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 19, verse 19. So he, that's Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of uh, Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Do you see here this great prophet Elijah, who we brought up many times in our study of Luke? Uh, for Luke often draws uh, our attention to a contrast uh, between Elijah and the greater Elijah, even Jesus himself. And here we see that Elijah could uh, absolutely tolerate the delay in Elisha going back and kissing his mom and dad. What Jesus is saying is there is a prophet who is greater, who is on a greater and more significant mission. And therefore, we need to move forward, move forward now. Having said that, am I saying, wow, if we follow Jesus, we can't have a relationship with our parents or our siblings or other people of that nature? In no way. But what I am saying is if our parents or our siblings or any other relationship tried to prevent us or distracted us from moving forward in our relationship with Jesus, then we would be willing to choose Jesus. Now, thankfully, it rarely comes down to that in our world, but it certainly does in places around the world where parents will often reject children for following Jesus, or children will even deny their own parents if their parents become a follower of Jesus. Where do we think about uh, Jesus in terms of his priority in our life? Are we willing to move forward with him? Or do we want to go back 
to where we were in the past. This is what Jesus wants us to think about. I hope this gives you some things to think about uh, as uh, you consider this text. Uh, perhaps today or later on in the week, uh, you can begin to mull over these questions. Have I really uh, thought about how tightly or loosely I hold this world? Have I really thought about, you know, uh, how I think about Jesus in terms of uh, his place and superiority and all of the duties and responsibilities that I have? And I can really think about, does my heart too often want to go back to my life before Jesus, or am I looking ahead at all that Jesus will do in and through me in the future? I hope you have opportunity to think and pray over these things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the grace that you have uh, given to me uh, to preach it today. I pray for each person who's listened that you will encourage them and be with them. I pray, O oh Lord, that they will see the beauty and the amazing grace offered in Christ, the, that life itself is in him and that as they think about these things, they will recognize that there is no greater thing, no greater or more significant priority that we could have other than Jesus. And may we always, as we think about it, embrace Christ more wholeheartedly, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us as I am recording uh, this message on the 4th of July weekend. There are fireworks going off all around me. I don't know whether you can hear them or not, but I hope you have a good, encouraging weekend uh, this weekend. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we put the information on the screen so that you can uh, go to our website to learn more about us or drop us an email. We always love to hear from you, especially this summer. And for those of you who... Uh, know us and have supported us. If you are coming through Fort Mill uh, in your summer travels, uh, take some time to stop by, have coffee or lunch or dinner, or even stay the night. We would love to have you. Just let us know you're on your way. And now let's look at God's word for a blessing. It comes from Numbers chapter 6. Uh, the blessing that God gives to you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.